0: President of Princeton Seminary, Craig Barnes, says that we've all got a hole in our lives. We're all missing something in our lives. But Dr. Barnes was not the first one to notice this hole. In the 1600s, Blaise Pascal wrote, what else does this craving and helplessness proclaim but that there was once in a man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those things that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. For Pascal... Only God could fill this void in our lives. This is where we get the idea that there is a God-shaped hole in each of us. But for a lot of us, including those who already have God, we act as if this is not enough. And so we keep reaching for something else. And we spend so much of our time and energy searching for ways To fill this hole, this void in. In fact, some of us spend what seems like our whole lives trying to fill in that hole by chasing whatever it is we think will fill it. There is this insatiable thirst and appetite for something more. Whatever it is we think will complete us and fill in this void, we spend hours trying to grasp it or some sort of substitute that we think will at least patch over the hole inside of us. I don't know what that might be for you. It might be a relationship, a career goal, an unfulfilled dream. Maybe it's healing from an illness or recovery from a loss. I don't know what it is for you the truth is, it's different for each one of us. But there is this desire and yearning that wells up inside of us to fill in this hole with whatever it is we think is missing. So much so, and so strong is this desire, that if we are not careful, the search for something more can take over our lives. For people like us, who hang around in places like this, we may think that this is a result of the fall. It's as if we think that we were able to have it all before Adam and Eve took that bite, and with that bite, we lost it. But I don't know if that's... Barnes reminds us that we've only got a few pages in the Bible that describe what God had in mind for creation. By the time we get to the third chapter in Genesis, by the time we've got to the third chapter, we see that we've, we've messed it all up. He says the rest of the Bible is just the recovery plan. So these early verses are so precious to us As we learn about what God had in mind for all of creation, we are told that we are placed in the garden that God had created. We are told that we could eat of almost all of the fruit from almost all of the trees. Almost all of the fruit was blessed by God. And to partake in this fruit, Barnes says, is to experience doxology. That is, that praise for God from whom all blessings flow. Almost all of the fruit. But there was the fruit of one tree that was not given, that was not blessed. This means from the beginning, we were never meant to have it all. By created design, something will always be missing from your life. Note that this happens before the fall, so it's not punishment. It's God's idea of a good creation. And do you remember where God placed the tree with the forbidden fruit? right in the middle of the garden. It's not off to the side or tucked away in some corner or on some other side of the tracks in the garden there. No, it's right in the middle of it all. And Barnes says this meant that Adam and Eve had to walk by that tree every single day. And so do we. Temptation to have more. Temptation to have it all. We face it every day. Temptation to take that which was not given or blessed for our use. Well, even Jesus was tempted. We know that story, too. Led out into the wilderness by the Spirit, where he fasted and prayed for 40 days, 40 nights, and the great tempter came and tried to entice Jesus, who in his tired and weakened and famished state was perhaps maybe just a little bit vulnerable. The tempter said to Jesus, Jesus, all you have to do is a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and then all of this, all that you've ever wanted can be yours. Of course, all of these things belonged to the Lord already. The tempter who is so fond of quoting scripture, why didn't he know that the earth is the Lord and all that is in it? If you ask me, this is one of the accounts of Jesus that is truly a miracle. Forget walking on water, forget turning water into wine. In my mind, this is miraculous work here by Jesus because in this temptation account, He is able to do what absolutely none of us could do. He's able to walk right past the tree of temptation without reaching for the fruit. Now, this is not to say that having wants or needs is bad, nor is trying to satisfy your needs a sin. Not at all. But I do wonder if it means that we might want to be a little more thankful for what we already do have. We've got this little problem with gratitude and appreciation, don't we? The grass is always greener. Well, sure, preacher, but do you know what they've got over there? I cannot tell you how many times I hear this church over there is doing this. We should have that, too. I'm serious. I really cannot tell you how many times I hear that. If only our church, my family, my life, had X, Y, or Z, then surely all would be right with the world. And yet, you see, in wanting X, Y, and Z, we have a tendency to forget that we've already got A, B, and C. And all the way through W. Use your imagination with me for just a moment. Can't you just picture Adam and Eve after they've taken a bite and eaten the fruit and they were the one that they were told to leave alone? And then they were placed outside of the garden to go on their way. I mean, can't you just see them as they're walking away from the garden? turn and look at each other and saying, you know, it was a pretty good garden. And that's the issue for us here. I love what Barnes says. He says, we can have 999 amazing trees with delicious and beautiful fruit, but what do we always want to do? We always just want to hang out around the one tree with the one fruit that we cannot have. When that happens, we forget that we are not meant to have it all. We forget the blessing and the grace of limits in our life. The grace and the blessing that gives us permission to stop chasing after everything. It seems to me that these limits are in our lives and They can serve as a grace and that they help us to see what we already have without needing to reach out and seek something more, something better. Besides, in in my experience, temptation, this thing out there that we think is going to be really great, this temptation out there that we think is going to fix us and, and, and help us, this temptation really only leads to expectations, and hope, and something else, which more often than not will lead us to disappointment, to shame, perhaps even despair. It's interesting, isn't it, that the serpent in the garden was right. This tempter responds to Eve's declaration that if they eat the fruit, they'll die, by saying, no, 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 that's not right. You will not die. Rather, your eyes will be opened. And he was right. They didn't die from eating the fruit. But they were able to see more clearly, which led to shame and despair of their nakedness. In other words, they were exposed for who they really were. And so they rushed and they tried to cover it all up. And so here we are, the first Sunday in the season of Lent. And part of what we're doing during Lent is confronting who we really are. As we take the time for some serious self reflection as we confess our sins before one another, before God, as we lament that our sinful leanings are exposed, and like those in the garden, we realize our tendency to just want to cover it all up. We like looking, and we like other people thinking that we are squeaky clean. If you are with us on Ash Wednesday... Then you heard me read from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It was one of the lectionary readings on Ash Wednesday for that night, and it's also a passage that I've just recently fallen in love with. Let me read it to you, verses 8 through 11 of that chapter. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing his letter to the church in Corinth, and things there were, let's just say, kind of a mess. So Paul writes to them, We are treated as deceivers, yet we are true. We are treated as unknown, though we are known through and through. We are treated as though we have nothing, yet we possess everything. Having nothing, possessing everything. Isn't that beautiful? Having nothing, possessing everything. Pastor and theologian David Bartlett writes that this is the Apostle Paul at his Pauline worst. He's angry, egotistical, he's defensive, he's desperately threatened, all of the things we learned in classes on pastoral care that were never supposed to be. And here he is, caught in this most exasperating bind, opposition at this church has risen behind his back, and it's a church that he loves. Strangers begin to question his credentials, his, his devotion. The church people, they don't know what to think, and so they begin to waver. And Paul, in the frustration of it all, out it comes. We are treated as deceivers, yet we are true. We are treated as unknown, yet we are known through and through. We are treated as though we have nothing, yet we possess everything, having nothing. Possessing everything. Bartlett continues. He says, Paul admits it. As far as they go, his opponents are right. And he has nothing. No credentials. No wisdom. No power. No personal attractiveness. But you know, his opponents are also wrong. He possesses everything. Or at least everything that matters. Every gift of faith, and hope, and love. He possesses every amazing grace. Having nothing. Possessing everything. That's Paul's punchline in his defense for his ministry. And I think it's the same for us. Like our ancestors in the garden, it might not seem like we have it all. There are so many things out there that we want and chase after, thinking that it's going to make us whole, it will complete us, or make us somehow better at life. That's the temptation. But we're not meant to have it all. And there is a grace to this holy limitation. Having nothing. Maybe having something. And yet, as the children of God, we possess everything. That was the design at creation. They already had in the garden. They already had everything they need. And so do we. Because once we realize that we have a God who loves us and who cares for us, a God who gives us this gift of faith, who showers us with amazing grace, and who gives us this blessed sacrament so that we might remember him. Once we realize this, then maybe we can stop reaching and chasing for everything else because we already possess everything we will ever need. We have the grace and the love of God.